episodes six and seven. Today we're going to talk about situational awareness, our second class that's focusing on senses. Our references for today are TC3-22.69, Advanced Situational Awareness, and TC3-21.76, Ranger Handbook. But first, story time. So in 2015, right before our deployment to Afghanistan, we had mount training. Mount meaning military uh, what operations, urban terrain. So we were going house to house doing all that fun stuff. So me and my squad went into this building. We were getting our HVTs, our high value targets. We were, you know, clearing, fulfilling our mission. When I heard a dee 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 ding on the ground, I looked down and I see a canister billowing out yellow smoke. And then I hear my squad mates yell, <laughs> gas, 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 gas. Oh, no. So I reach down into my pouch, throw on my gas mask, clear it. I can breathe. I can't smell anything. That's great. Unfortunately for my friend, he could smell and taste something. And it was the CS gas, the, <laughs> the tear gas. So he so, did not clear his mask properly. No, no. <laughs> went running you know, leaving a trail of, you know, all of his gear, saw his helmet, his mask, everything. My squad leader found him. He's yelling and cursing at him. And I'm just, I'm crying. I'm laughing so hard. Uh, that that just, was great too. That, because... that really just, you know, encapsulates that day for me. Yeah. It you was know? funny for me too. Cause I was on, I was on the other end down the road from you and I never, I never smelled. Well, I, I smelled the gas a little bit so I could tell that something was going on, but we had just gotten done getting simulated grenaded. Nice. Yep. And we cleared that building and we were sitting in a ditch when we heard someone screaming gas. And then the next thing I saw was coming, running down the road, like snot pouring from his nose, tears coming from his eyes. He didn't have any of his stuff, which was the funniest part. I'm like, what the, f what the so hell just happened? <laughs> So, uh, yeah, so if no one's been, you know, hit with CS gas before, it's a great experience and you should try it. What happens 100%. is it attacks your respiratory system, right? <laughs> it's a, it's an irritant. So, you know, basically your nose, you know, running, it's just like, you can't breathe, right? You know, your eyes are crying. You can't see, you can't breathe. You can't smell. Um, also your skin starts to burn because it's an, an irritant. Um, very not good stuff especially if you don't clear your mask properly. So I could still see, I could still breathe. I could still do what I had to do, but like on my neck, you know, the collar on my neck where skin mm. was exposed around my wrist where I didn't have my gloves or my, or my, you know, cuff covering, you know, it just started, you know, to, to burn like CS gas. It's hard to, it's kind of hard to explain when you haven't felt it before, but <laughs> we do that. And my squad leader, he's a, he, Yo, go get I'm like, okay, you know, fine. And like, oh, I try to find him. And I just follow this little breadcrumb of all his gear. He threw his saw. <laughs> he threw his, he threw his helmet. He's like lying on the ground, like, you know, with his hands in his face, like crying. Uh, today we're continuing on with situational awareness there. Like we talked about last episode, guys, there is so much information in that FM to cover. I focus primarily on the senses, uh, so first sense we're going to talk about is your sense of sight. Sight is the sense that we use primarily throughout the day and it is 
incredible resource when you have it. It can be an incredible detriment when you don't. Oh, it's absolutely so, crippling. If you don't have sight, like it is freaking crippling. So for anyone who has experienced this, if you have, if you wear glasses with a pretty high prescription or a pretty low prescription, depending on if you're nearsighted or farsighted, and you take your glasses off, how crippling is it? Can you drive? Probably not. At least not very well. It's hard to even use your depth perception because you just, you, you can't tell. Everything's a blur. It's right. So, so I wear glasses, right? And I wear contacts. So if I don't have my glass or contacts, it literally looks like I'm trying to see underwater. So, oh yeah. So over time, my body, you know, has naturally, you know, my mind has naturally built up that kind of database of experience. Like I can look at something without my glass and I, okay, that's a water bottle. Okay. That's a pen. Okay. That's just because, you know, I've memorized what it looks like when I can see with my glasses. And so that carries over. But if I were to just not, if I had to go into a situation where I had to like do soldiering tasks or like get positive identification. I wouldn't be able yeah. to do that. You yeah, know, that is happening. a huge detriment. So without getting into uh, the actual physiology of how all of this works, I think it's interesting. I'd love to do a blog post or a write-up or a guide or something on this later, if y'all would be interested in that. But we're really trying to just narrow down and really filter out all that stuff to what you can apply right now and just give you the overall uh, grasp of the concept. So your eyes uh, perform differently in different light situations. So when light is available, so during the daytime, if you have a light on in you know your building, home, room, whatever, your eyes primarily focus on differentiating, differentiating different colors, recognizing shapes, and spotting contrast. By contrast, I mean something that is different from the environment. So if uh, you drop your phone on the ground, the slim metallic or slim glass texture of that phone is going to differ from the grass. All right, that's contrast. When there is not light available, your body is designed to capture the available light that is there. That can take time. That can take time for you to get, you know, the quote unquote night vision uh, that your body will naturally produce. But during that time, your eyes will primarily focus on detecting movement and you'll have to rely mostly on your peripheral vision. Yeah. And, oh, and of course, with the night vision, I'm primarily talking about blacks and whites. So your eyes do not take in enough light to differentiate color, really. So at night, you're going to see mostly blacks and whites. Six, so you want to talk about seeing in dark conditions? When you're faced with operating, walking, whatever in the dark, uh, there's a lot of things that you should probably know about this. Uh, the first being after, after your eyes have adjusted to the low light levels, if you're exposed to like a flashlight or headlights or a street light, whatever, whatever, a bright light source, um, it can take up to 45 minutes for your vision to recover to where <clears throat> you're fully seeing in bright light or back into low light. When you're dealing with dark uh, conditions, you're also having to combat reduce depth perception because you can't really tell how far away something is in the dark or tell as well. Yeah. And I know this for a fact, as many times as I've operated under night vision goggles or I guess night vision optics. So were you an operator? 
out of the many times that we used our our nods, our night optical devices, stumbling around in the dark is not fun. 90% of the time, I had the thing down. I didn't even have it on because I could see better without the thing on than with it on because just that bright light shining into my eye, one eye, was a pain in the ass. Because even with the night, the nods down, you still had even more reduced depth perception. It's it's hard to explain unless you've actually seen them. It's not like Call of Duty. It's it's not like Call of Duty. They basically just took, you know, the regular daylight vision and just turned it all green. That's not how it looks. It's it's so grainy. It's yeah, and just to uh to clarify a little bit the that difference that you're talking about with having one eye with your nods on and one without when you're looking through at least the 14s the pbs 14s that we had um they were slightly zoomed in oh, and yeah. you you know like you said you didn't have that good uh depth perception but only on that one side and your eyes will naturally try to equal out so if you weren't careful to focus just on that eye or close one eye or however you're going to do it right um that 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 color that you know green hue could actually bleach into that other eye your depth perception get get really screwy because you know one eye was natural depth perception light the other one was magnified slightly um so until you got used to it until you adapted to that it it could be very difficult to to get around and it's just annoying so also when you're when you're in the dark, um, if you stare directly at something, it's gonna get bleached out. Like it's just gonna go completely dark. It's I don't even know what the phenomenon's called, but just try it. Like I think it's just called bleaching out. Your eyes aren't <clears throat> designed to focus directly on something at yeah, night. But I, if if you want to try it, like go into a dark room or you know mostly dark or go out at night and try looking directly at an object, whether you have like a dog outside or a cat or a cow or a person, whatever, try looking directly at them and you won't be able to tell, you, you won't be able to discern anything about them. To combat this, you can just try kind of like staring off to the side or like at the edge of the object and things will come back into focus a little bit, enough to at least be able to see and discern what the object is. And the main thing with that is is focusing on different things when you're doing that. So when you're looking at the at the periphery, at the at the corners of whatever object, right? You're looking slightly off to it. Only look at those a few seconds at a time and then shift your focus again. Right. You know, shift your gaze right. again. And that's going to stop you from bleaching out and you'll be able to get a better idea of what's going and, on. And really the key to, to uh, maneuvering to um, scanning at night if you if you don't have the ability to have something like a night optical device nod uh use your peripheral vision because you can you can see movement your depth perception is a little bit better if you're just using your peripheral vision to scan so when you're traveling at night if you do not have a way to see in the dark you know a night vision device thermals what have you um you're going to have to rely on your natural vision so that looks like you're looking out, especially for movement. Your eyes are designed to catch that. And then as far as your periphery goes, um, letting your vision uh, drift from focus. So not trying to focus on any one thing, mm -hmm. just kind of letting your eyes uh, rest 
a little bit and they'll naturally pick up on the on the peripheral of your vision they'll they'll pick everything out that's what they're that's what they're designed right. for uh but you know to your point it is very difficult to operate at night so so why law guys if they do not have night vision they you know kind of their sop is to is to bed down and pull yep. security you know if you're in a you know in a situation where you have to be doing soldiering tasks right because uh, it's not worth it if your enemy if your adversary has night vision it's more of a detriment to be moving around because you're going to be loud you're going to be busting your butt everywhere and you're not going to be able to see them before they can see you yeah and kind of like how in daylight deer use um they don't they can't discern a predator they can't discern a hunter based solely on looking at it they mainly rely on movements they mainly rely on extreme color differences extreme color differences in the same way at night that's what we rely on you can see movement so much better at night than you can like just looking at something and being able to tell that something's off like if something moves at night you can see it almost immediately you know something's there something's not nature or something's not like a tree something's not like a static object you know something's there and that could be someone moving that could be a deer that could be an animal that could be an rpg coming at your face you don't know uh as far as you know back down for night the staying orders for rogers rangers number 15 was don't sleep beyond dawn dawns when the french and indians attack you know why that is well yeah i know why it is we just talked about it yeah i do know why that is so at dusk at dawn okay your eyes are shifting between that daylight focus and that nighttime focus so your eyes are more fatigued shifting between trying to catch the available light and trying to shift to so sun up to sundown it's constantly changing it's very rapid and it's very fatiguing on your eyes so that's why historically a lot of battles a lot of raids are fought during this time because the attacker has that advantage so different factors that affect uh you know observation looking and identifying uh you know targets are shape so your past experience your mental database um, help you associate when an object is with its shape or its outline so like i was talking about earlier with you know if i don't have my glasses i can still tell what something is because i've you know i call back on that experience subconsciously so i can associate uh you know if something is a pen or a water bottle when really i just see a you know a blur shadow uh so in some kind of shadow cast by a person or an object can give away their position so uh pretty sure everyone's played that game on ig you know spot the sniper so if someone is hiding behind a tree for example and sunlight is coming from either side of the tree and casts a shadow on the ground you'll be able to see the shadow of the tree and the shadow of you know the person hiding behind it shadow can give a lot of weight can also help with you know determining what type of day it is silhouette so silhouette contrast an object from the surrounding environment so an easy way for, to explain this is what we used to call silhouetting so if you're performing a movement and you're standing on top of a ridge line or on top of a hill or a mountain 
someone will be able to see your silhouette. A lot of animals are extremely good at you know, adapting and uh, blending into their environment. So instead of looking for a specific color, you have to look out for their shape instead. Uh, surface. So contrasting the object surface, you know, with the, uh, you know, with the surrounding environment. So anytime that you drop your phone and you look for it on the ground, you see that you're, you know, if you drop it on grass, you see, you know, the color difference, you see the uh, smoothness as opposed to the roughness or Weaviness uh, of the ground. Spacing. So rows and equal spacing are, they don't happen naturally. So that is a person. So used to be SOP for a while that if you were stranded, that you would set three fires equal spacing out, you know, across whatever, if you were on a beach or, you know, on a mountainside, because patterns like that, spacing like that, the the symmetry doesn't happen naturally. Anomalies, we spoke of this, anything that contrasts anything that doesn't belong. Color, that's why, you know, if you're actually trying to hide from something, you shouldn't wear neon orange in the forest. And movement, what Six was talking about at night, your eyes are designed to pick up movement. Um, that's a that's a real big gigger if, you know, guys are going through uh, the ghillie portion of the sniper school. Right, so if they move against their environment and they move a bush or the grass or uh, something moves that shouldn't or moves in a way that it shouldn't, then that's a that's a dead giveaway. That's also why they teach you to move very, very slowly and deliberately, and even better if you can do it with the wind, because if the wind is blowing foliage. It's a lot easier. You can move just a little bit quicker. Not very much quicker, but enough to where it looks like it's natural. So, moving on. Another consideration is positive, negative, and dead spaces. So, positive space is a solid object, something that takes up mass. The eyes naturally jump from positive space to positive space. So, if you're looking down a city street, your eyes are naturally going to jump to the car, the street lamp, the building, the cart. Negative space is the space between those positive spaces. So anything that is not solid, anything that doesn't have mass. So that can include, you know, the always between buildings. That can include windows if they're open. And dead space, anything that you cannot see. So what is inside a building, what is behind a car, what is behind trees, a terrain feature. Anything that you can't readily observe in your area that someone could potentially observe you from. All right. So, Six, do you want to talk about uh, or bring us into sound? Yeah, absolutely. As far as sound goes, we have a real-world example of a time when uh, sound and hearing have been used to save lives. I'm going to take you back probably about a decade. Uh, at 8.46 in the morning on September 11th, 2001, the first plane impacted the World Trade Center. I don't know how many of you are old enough to remember that, but personally, I was in school at the time, and I can remember the TV getting flipped on and seeing the devastation of the North Tower being just engulfed in smoke, black smoke. And if I was watching it, 
I knew that there were hundreds, if not thousands of people in Manhattan and lower Manhattan watching the same thing. And it turns out there were, there were thousands of people, hundreds of first responders flooding into the area, looking at it and trying to see what's going on, trying to make sense of what just happened. But little did they know a little over an hour later that both the North tower and South tower would come down. And when they did, they spewed just a gigantic plume, a rolling cloud of dust, debris, body parts, jet fuel, uh, pulverized concrete, uh, building material, plastics that have been burned, glass, fibers from like hair products, all sorts of things. This stuff got spewed into the air. It got into people's eyes and their nose and their mouth. So these people were all standing around in the path of this dust cloud that was rolling through almost like a like gigantic, if you've ever seen it, a gigantic like dust cloud rolling through the Arabian desert. Like these things are miles high, but these people were trying to escape this dust cloud in lower Manhattan. And all they had to go on was their sense of hearing and their sense of touch. And sense of touch was fine. It'd be like people grabbing each other and like guiding each other to safety. But the hearing was the key thing, especially when they couldn't see, couldn't smell, couldn't taste. They could hear car alarms going off. They could hear people calling out from buildings, from people who were stationary trying to get help. They could hear dogs barking. They could hear sirens going off. But they used their sense of hearing to navigate away from ground zero, away from this dust cloud, away from all this toxicity that had been spewed in the air. And we know it was toxic because of reports that came out. Like there wasn't asbestos, but there was plenty of other stuff that was extremely toxic to the human body in it. But getting back to sense of sound, they used their hearing to navigate into buildings, into safety, away from where first responders were still flooding in. That's just an example of how powerful the sense of hearing, the sense of set, like how, how powerful sound is, especially as it regards to situational awareness and saving lives. So when we talk about this, we're talking about it's mainly about the human body's ability to detect sound. We just have some other examples of how far something can, can travel. And I get that this is in kilometers, but you know, Google translate that. So if you're reloading a magazine, you could hear that up to almost 500 meters away. That's a long distance. Now think about that. Think about the distance that, that covers. If you're yelling at someone. So, uh, so for people who don't want to do the math, a kilometer is just over half a mile. So if you're looking on your speedometer when you're driving, when you're speeding in the left lane, because the left lane is for crime, <laughs> the little number, okay, underneath the big number is your kilometers. So it's about double. Now, speaking of motor vehicles, if you're traveling on a highway, you can hear that up to a kilometer away. Like that's, that's a good distance. I mean, think about that. How far out can you hear an ambulance, a fire truck, a police car coming or even going? Like I get that the pitch you'll, changes. You'll hear it before you see but it. But still, it's a good freaking distance out there, and you can just hear that stuff. So it's your sound signature will travel before you. As far as detection goes, as well, it's the you can detect the exact opposite as well. So a lack of ambient sound, lack of birds chirping, a lack of mechanical sounds, that's a good indicator of 
a, a physical presence, a person being there. Like, if animals detect danger, they're going to leave. And what you have is just a, a cavity, a vacuum of sound. Like, there's nothing there. And that alone, if you've ever seen the movies, it instantly, like, puts off a red flag in somebody's brain. Like, something's up. I need to be paying attention. So I actually have two examples of that from a movie, actually. So The Born Identity displayed this perfectly, in my opinion. So uh, Jason Bourne and, uh, and you know, Mary, his partner, they uh, are going out to a house in the country, okay? They go and stay with Mary's friend, and turns out that they were pursued by another assassin. Bourne does a couple things here. Situational awareness is pretty much his superpower, but two things he does. At one point, the family is trying to leave, and so they call their family dog, and the dog doesn't come. So that ticks off a red, you know, a red flag in Bourne's mind, and he says, "Hey, you guys need to get in the basement." To him, that was enough evidence to warrant suspicion and to warrant action. Okay, specifically for sound, when he goes to confront uh, his adversary. Amongst other things of, you know, hiding his presence, like blowing up the propane tank and, uh, you know, the, the sniper goes and he, you know, he gets the sound signature. So he looks at the propane tank that blew up, sends up a plume of smoke, hides Bourne's presence so he can go and uh, flank the enemy, right? Who he believes is hiding in the field. He gets to the field. He shoots a shotgun in the air. This frightens the birds that are in the field. The birds fly up. And as he's moving around the outskirts of the field, the birds do not sell back down. So he knows that the sniper is hiding in the field. A couple takeaways from that, like you said, in the environment, if someone makes an unnatural sound, okay, that's going to alert you know, prey animals, animals in nature. So fire the shotgun, birds got scared, birds flew off. Also the bird's presence, you know, the fact that they didn't settle in the field. Uh, was you know evidence enough for him to you know, go off and close that distance and kill the sniper? So using that as an example, Bourne listened with intent to ID and categorize every sound that he heard, and that allowed him to make snap judgments, snap good judgments about what he should do in those instances. And that's something that everyone else can learn how to do if you really want to. When we get into weapons familiarization, we'll actually play uh, audio clips of different weapons firing so that you know people can you know throw that in their database to use later. So you can listen to you know the report of a rifle and you can get a general idea of what's going on. You might not be able to tell the caliber, but you can tell, oh, okay, that's a handgun. That's a rifle. That's an automatic mm -hmm. rifle, right? Oh, crap, that's 50. Um, but also with sound, you... You know, with enough experience, you'll be able to judge that distance to a certain degree, right? So, you know, anyone can say, oh, that sounds coming closer. But with, you know, enough immersion, with enough practice, you can be like, oh, oh okay, that was a couple, you know, a couple clicks that way. Or, oh, that's a couple hundred meters that way. Sound can also travel uh, farther over water. That mainly happens because there's no obstacles in the way to slow down sound. Yes, water absorbs some of it, but if it's going straight out and it doesn't hit a wave, it's going to keep going. It's going to keep going until that sound wave loses enough energy to where it dissipates. So A7, take us into smell. Right, sense of smell. Your sense of smell enables you to make the distinction 
get direction and basic status of different odors in your environment. Okay, what I mean by that, your sense of smell is not as acute as an animal, so like a tracking dog. You'll never be able to do what they can do. But you can get the the basic just the the basic status of what's going on. This is important when we're talking about, you know, like tracking or during movement, a lot of soldiering stuff, because you'll you'll be able to pick out the anomalies, what's not supposed to be there. So, you know, say something pretty innocuous like like hiking. Okay. If you're hiking and you you're going for a while and you kind of come to the realization that you don't really hear any animals anymore and there's you know kind of a you know faint glow on the horizon you're starting to smell smoke that should put off some red flags as far as soldiering goes you're going to be able to smell cigarette smoke aftershave soap insect repellent uh a cooking fire okay all these are you know, are potentially evidence to human presence. Unless you're dealing with like flowers, if you smell something good like aftershave or cologne or deodorant or even bug spray, it doesn't belong there. You know somebody's there. Or even something bad like cigarette smoke or cigar smoke, that's a good indicator that somebody's there. So sense of touch, often overlooked because it's so integral to how we go about life. Your sense of touch is comprised mainly of four sensations. Heat, cold, pressure, and pain. So heat and cold, pretty self-explanatory. Pain rolls into that. Um, pain is the body's way of telling you that something is wrong, that you've damaged your body, and you can't ignore that because it needs to be fixed. So that's why a huge danger is frostbite. So if you're in cold weather conditions and you get frostbite, oh, yeah, well, my... Finger fingers black, but I can't feel it. It doesn't hurt. So yeah, your bodies are impossibly complex, but your sense of touch is, is very integral to a lot of things. So especially in low light conditions, when you can't see, you'll be relying on your sense of touch a lot. So in the September 11th attacks, okay, people were crawling around the ground. They couldn't see. So they had to rely on their sense of touch to figure out where, you know, you know, to traverse their environment. Okay. In the army, we mainly operate in low light conditions, performing weapons, manipulation, reloading, clearing malfunctions. All that was done with your sense of touch. Also, you can use your sense of touch to identify different objects. If you can't look at them or if it's dark, you know, another good application would be, you know, putting your, the back of your hand to the side of the, or to the face of a door to see if the other room is hot because if you don't do that and you open that door you could be straight up not having a good time all right go ahead and i'm not gonna tell you to do it just i'm gonna tell you to taste something taste the rainbow actually i will tell all of you don't whatever it is if you have to ask don't lick it <laughs> yeah so we're gonna roll into taste here smell and taste actually complement each other um taste helps you determine if food is good if it's bad if it's edible, if it's poisonous, if it's been oversalted, if it's been undersalted. Temperature. Temperature. Yeah, exactly. Anyone who's in an MRE knows what we're talking about. Oh my God. Yes. If you've ever eaten an MRE, chances are that thing is from the 80s and it's gone bad by over 10 years. 
especially if you ate the Skittles, those Skittles were like freaking mini jawbreakers. Like there weren't a lot of things in that, in those MREs that were actually good. I do remember the pound cakes, the lemon cakes being really good. Oh, dude, I remember like this, it wasn't like first strike bars. Yeah. The first strike bars, as long as they were under like five years old, they were fantastic. If they were over five years old, it was like trying to eat a chocolate version of stale beef jerky. If anyone is listening right now who is still in the army and you, you know, still like eat Murray's, like the Southwest beef and bean, Ooh. hoard all of the cheese packets you can. Okay, grab two two things of crackers. Okay. Empty out your MRE, fold it down to where it's a big bowl, you know, heat up your, heat up the beef and bean. Okay. The Southwest beef and bean, pour it in there, crumble up the crackers, heat up the cheese, pour the cheese in there, mix it up. You're welcome. So let's, let's get out of MREs. Let's actually get out of this. Please. We've covered the five senses and I don't want to keep getting people's eyes glazed over (laughs) Yeah, so this was our second episode on situational awareness. Like we said before, there's so much more we can go over and you know really do a deep dive into, but we want to focus on your senses because they're how you experience and interact with the world. So if we can focus in and kind of show you the hows and whys and capabilities, it gives you a different framework. I feel like it really broadens out the tools that you can go about your everyday life and no matter what you do. Next week, we're going to be talking about guerrilla warfare. We're doing our guerrilla warfare primer. And we're going to be getting into the history of it. We're going to be expounding on what goes actually into guerrilla warfare. So like basic soldiering, networking, that kind of stuff. It's, it's all encompassing. It's going to take us a few episodes for sure to cover everything that we want to talk about. So hope you join us for that. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and be better. This was Hard Times, Strong Men. Like, subscribe, share with your friends. Thanks, everybody.